that God has only called us to live one day at a time, aren't you? And He'll take care of us. We'll just walk with Him during that time. And I think everybody here could testify that God has been good uh, to us and that God has been faithful and that God has always met the needs of us. If He did it then, He'll do it today and He's going to do it tomorrow. And we just count on Him all the way through. Mark chapter number 2 and verse number 1 is where we're going to read from in a moment. And while you're finding your place there, one thing that everybody needs is a friend, isn't it? Uh, Friends help us to enjoy life a little more. Uh, They help us to ease the load that we have been called to carry sometimes. I know that in my life I owe a great deal to the friends that God has put in my life. But the thought that I want to preach to you this morning is on this thought about friendship, and that is friends of faith. Uh, And there are many good friends that I have in in life, and there are many friends that I have uh, that have been there for me in many different times. But I would say that some of the greatest friends that I have are the friends that I have that have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that know the Lord. Uh, And and I think that if you get anything from the, the text that I'll read in a moment and preach from, it is this that I hope that you get anyways. And that is that we need to surround ourselves with friends of faith. And not only do we need to surround ourselves with friends of faith, but we need to make sure that we are a friend of faith for other people in our life as well. It is sad, but it is probably true that many people, even in the church house, would claim that it is hard to find a true friend sometimes. That it is hard to find a friend of faith. Let me just tell you quickly before before we get into the message in the text about a true a true friend and friends of faith. And that is I can tell you what a true friend is not. And number one, a true friend is not one that is ever going to encourage you to go against the will of God. A true friend that you have as a believer is never going to be somebody that says, no, you shouldn't do what God is calling you to do. Or yes, you should do what God has said don't do. That's not a true friend. Those are not the kind of people that we should want to surround our life and surround ourselves with. The second thing is a true friend is not one who just uses you, get what they want, and then forgets all about you. It just neglects you. A true friend is not there for what they can get, but they are there for what they can give to you and what they can help you with in your life. A true friend is not one who forsakes you when you mess up or when you go through a season of life that is difficult. If you're the kind of friend today that is there for people when their life is good, but you bail when their life is bad, then you are not the kind of friend that you need to be. And those are not the kind of people that we need to surround ourselves with. And the fourth thing is a true friend is not one who is only friendly to you around certain people and in certain environments. Those are not the kind of people that we want to have surrounding our life and our kids and our marriage and our walk with the Lord. We want friends that are going to help us get to a closer walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should want to be a friend that is going to help others get to a closer walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our text that we're going to read, we see the greatest display of what friendship is all about in the faith and in the walk with the Lord. In verse number 1, it says, and again, he, talking about Jesus, entered into Capernaum 
after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, in so much that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, carried a four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, He said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? And can I just say that God knows what we're thinking, not just what we're saying. He knew what was on their heart. He knew what they had going on in there. And He responded to the thoughts that they couldn't even speak, didn't have the courage to speak. And God still does that today. He knows the very thoughts that we have and He confronts us about those before we ever even say anything about them. That's what He's doing to them. He says in verse number 9, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately... He arose and he took up the bed and he went forth before them all in so much that they were all amazed and glorified God saying we never saw it on this fashion. Now there's just three things that I want to point out to you about the text here in a moment about the story about the man who was sick but I can't help and y'all are going to have to forgive me but I can't help but verse number one when it says it was noised that he was in the house. I mean, if there's a passage of Scripture that I want to preach all the time, it's Mark chapter 2 in verse number 1. When Jesus is in this house, and they can't help but let it be known that Jesus is in that house. I mean, people are flocking to that place. There's not even enough room for anybody to get in there. You couldn't even get to the door because it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. And can I say this morning, if there's anything that ought to excite you and I today, it is the fact that Jesus is in the house and that Jesus has promised to meet with His people. And He said we're two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. There's a lot of things about church that may get you going. But if that doesn't get you going, then nothing else is going to do that. The fact that the Savior has met with us in a real place, in a real setting, and in a real way so that we can be in His presence and so that we can worship Him and so that we can know that He is there. I believe that one of the reasons that churches today are on the decline and why they are decreasing in number and why they're not making a huge impact is because the people of God have become so familiar with church that it is just another religious formality that we do and we show up to church and we wonder why it felt no different than any other thing that we've ever gone to and it is because we have lost that fee, that thrill and that wow factor of being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean anything to us anymore. We're not impressed with it. We're not amazed 
with it anymore. And the reason for that is so many people have considered church or made church up in their life to be a religious event that they go to once a week. And when they get there, here's where it is. And this is where 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 it applies to you and I. We go to church and here's what we're worried about. We're worried about crossing every T and dotting every I and making sure that we've done everything right and making sure that everybody's going to be happy with us and making sure that we got the right clothes on and making sure we got the right songs and making sure so-and-so's here. And the reason that many people are not thrilled to be in the presence of God is because when they came to church, they were worried about so-and-so and they weren't worried about Jesus. And they were worried about what so-and-so had on or why so-and-so wasn't here or what so-and-so did. And it was like the presence of the Lord wasn't even real in their life. It ought to be noised. It ought to be failed. It ought to be known that, hey, when I go to church, that Jesus is in that place. And you say, well, I don't like how you have church. Well, I don't like how you have church, All right. You say, I don't like that kind of stuff. If the Lord's in the house... If the Lord has met with His people, I think there's something to be worth being excited about in that. I think there's something that ought to make a Christian not want church to be over with, but want church to start so they can be in the presence of the Lord and they can worship Him and they can talk to Him and they can feel Him and they can know that the Lord is with me. And here's the problem with a lot of churches, a lot of preachers, especially preachers, if y'all didn't know it, they got more problems than anybody else in this world probably has, alright? But here's the problem with them. And we're a lot we are more like when we get to a place and we come in church, we're like a thermometer. We go in that church and we can read it, can't we? We can read the room and we can read the, the vibe and we can read all those good things about people and we can tell the problem. But can I say this morning, we need less thermometers and we need Christians that would say, you know what, I'm not going to be a thermometer, I'm going to be a thermostat and I'm not just going to say this is what it's like, but I'm going to change the temperature, alright? I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to worship, I'm going to worship. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to get excited. I'm going to get excited. I'm not going to wait for everybody else to quit being mad. I'm going to quit being mad. And I'm going to be that person, whether we have to be that person all by ourselves or not, but we're going to decide in our heart that we will not just go along with the flow, that we will not just let things die, that we will not just let the thrill go away, but we will do our part to make a difference. You know why a lot of people hadn't don't worship why a lot of people aren't excited about being in the presence of the Lord and like I said you're going to have to forgive me of this I may get stuck here but a lot of people ain't never seen anybody else excited about the Lord they ain't never witnessed anybody else being excited about the Lord I'll be a testimony of that I've sat in church my whole life I grew up in church you know how many times I ever witnessed people that were older than me ever get excited about the Lord ever find a place at the altar and get broken before God ever give their life over to the Lord it wasn't a whole lot that I ever witnessed that that was ingrained into me I saw it that way I thought that was the only way that it had to be and then one day God said hey quit following everybody else and follow the Spirit of God and let Him lead you let Him guide you and if there's anybody worth being excited about being in their presence it is the Lord Jesus Christ it was noise that He was in the house And people just couldn't help but get there and be there as well. And I'm fully convinced that if you and I left this place, and I'm telling you, you and I, including me, starting with me, left this place, 
And man, we, it, and we walked out of here like we really just walked out of the presence of the Lord. And it was noised abroad that, hey, when you go to church, Jesus is in the house. It ain't about religion. And it's not about, oh man, they got the lights and the shows and they got the, the pretty building and they got this and that. No, but when you go to that place, when you go there, there's one thing for certain that you're going to feel. And that's the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we can get that, we got something, all right? If we can get that, then we've got something that's worth having and worth something that's worth sharing with other people. Notice that it was noise that He was in the house and it says straightway where many gathered together that there was no room to receive them. Not so much about the door. And look at this. And He preached the Word unto them. Here it is, this house has been filled with people and Jesus is there and Jesus just begins to preach to this multitude and this crowd and He just begins to, to lay it out there about what, the truth and whatever it is, the sermon that He was preaching to them. But here's what comes to my mind and I think about how all of these people, they did not have to be deceived. They did not have to be manipulated. They did not have to be tricked. There was nothing, there was no, there, there, there was no gimmick or anything else to get them there but there was a desire to hear what Jesus had to say. And I understand this morning that church ought to be comfortable, that church ought to be an environment that is desirable, and that church should be a place where somebody feels welcome and wants to come back. And I believe those things and we're working on those things. But I would submit to you this morning that a born again child of God that has been washed in the blood and saved from hell and given a place to go in heaven should not have to be manipulated or tricked or deceived to hear the Word of God. There ought to be a desire in our heart to be there and hear the Word of God and to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be there. You say, well, in the world that we live in. Can I say, if you're saved, you got the same nature they had back then, alright? You were born again and you've got the Spirit of God and your flesh may not want it, but the saved part of you ought to want to be in the presence of the Lord and you should not have to be drugged there. You should not have to be tricked to get there. There ought to be a part of you that wants to be there because Jesus is there and because Jesus is moving and because He can be heard. And if that isn't enough, I would submit this morning that nothing will ever be enough if that isn't enough. It was noise that He was in the house. A great crowd comes unto Him. And it is in that setting that we pick up our story about the man that was going to be healed. And I just want to give you three things about this story on the thought of being a friend of faith. And number one, I want you to see the trouble that this man faced. It says that there was one sick of the palsy. This man was disabled, handicapped. His nerves had become relaxed. He was no longer able to maneuver, to get around, to walk, to be able to take care of himself. And it is apparent that this condition that he had was known by others around him. We don't know exactly, I don't know how long he had it or when he got it or, or any of the other things going on in that circumstance. But in this moment, this man was sick of the palsy. This man was laying in a bed and he could do absolutely nothing for himself. He couldn't get out. He couldn't go find help. There was nothing that he or anyone else that could do for him. He was in a troubled 
situation. He was going through a troublesome experience in his life. And I can't help but think about the trouble of our world today. I believe it was Job that said a man born of woman would be few of days and full of trouble. And when you look around in the world today, it is not hard to see all of the troubles that exist in the world. I mean, just in a general way. I got Google happy this week and so I Googled a few things just to bring that thought uh, to to our mind. Do you know on an average, on a daily basis in the United States of America, there is around a hundred people that die every day in a car accident. Just in a car accident. Think about how that affects when it hits close to home. Have you ever had a car accident and somebody died and they were uh, from the community you knew? And it just hit so close to home and everybody was affected. Do you know that's happening every day to people? Every day people are going through that thing. Here's one. The CDC reported that 1.7 million people a year are diagnosed with cancer. 1.7 million people in my time here at Timpson, there have been a handful of people that have been diagnosed with cancer and it just shakes our world, doesn't it? When, it, when we hear that word and we think about that news and we, we think about the things that are relevant to that and the things that are surrounding that circumstance, there are 1.7 million other people in this country that, do, that go through that a year as well because it's a troublesome world that we live in. 600,000 people a year die from cancer every year. 692,000 die from heart disease every year. And and here's a number that's extremely troubling. In America, there are 407,000 children in foster care. 407,000 in this great country that are in foster care. It was reported in 2019 that there were close to 100,000 deaths that were related to alcohol consumption in some way. And alcohol and drugs continue to destroy this country and so many livelihoods and everything else surrounding that. Sin continues to be tolerated celebrated, promoted and things that the Bible says are right the world says is wrong and things the Bible says are wrong the world is saying they're right and I could just go on and on and on this morning and describe the troubles that, that fill this world and that fill our lives and fill our families that are going on but here's what we need to understand and accept we do not live in a perfect world we live in a world that has been affected by sin and it is troubled by sin on an everyday basis. And here is the thing that God has brought to my heart anyways. I could look at the world and see all of the trouble. But if I look in this room today, and I don't know how many people are here this morning, but if we were all honest and I said, how many of you got troubles in your life? Every hand in this room would go up. Every, most of we put every both hands if we could up. Say, I got trouble on both sides, all right? I got trouble everywhere I look. It may not be known. Not everybody else may know about it. It may be something that you're dealing with on the inside. It may be something you're dealing with in your family. It may be something you're dealing with at your job, wherever it may be. But in this room, in little old Timpson, every single person here is impacted by the troubles of life in some way. It's ongoing. It's everywhere that we go. And we understand that Jesus made all of the difference in this man's life. But here's what I want you to consider. You cannot dismiss the role that his friends played in getting him there. Jesus made all the difference. And Jesus changed this man's life. And Jesus did all of that. But these four men were used by God in a huge way to get this man that was troubled 
to Jesus Christ. And when I consider the reason that we exist today, I believe that God created the Christian community within the local church so that it would be a place where people could carry their burdens and people could carry their struggles. And when I got tired and I got weak, that I had a brother like Brother Ray that I could put my load on and I could say, hey, would you pray for me and would you help me? And I would know that even in my darkest day, that there is a group of people that are there for me and that are going to help me. But here's the sad reality. The Christian community that God created within the church to be a place where we can carry our burdens has become a place where we feel like we must conceal our burdens and conceal our struggles because I am afraid that if you know them about me, that you will judge me, that you will hate me, that you won't have anything to do with me. And so we put on this facade of being perfect and having everything together and we miss out on encountering the Lord Jesus in our life because I'm so worried about the encounter that I'm going to have with you and what you're going to say and what so and so is going to think and really this should be a place that exists so the people of God can come out of the world and find a source of strength among their brothers and sisters in Christ that I know for sure that if I share my burden that if I share my struggle that the people in this room are going to grab a corner of the bed that I'm laying on and they're going to get me to Jesus somehow. They're going to do what they can to get me to the one that can make a difference in my life. And that's what this place should be known for. And can I say that's what people need in this world today. They need to know that church is more than just religion, but church is a place we come to be in the presence of the Lord. And it's a place where we come to be strengthened by one another and encouraged by one another. And when we can't walk all the way, that somebody else will help us get there to where we need to be. That's what was going on in his troubled life. These people were willing to do something and to help Him. Trouble is all around us today. The question that we must answer is not how do we get rid of the trouble. It is not how do we avoid the trouble. It's what are we going to do in the middle of the trouble. And what are we going to do for all of those in our life that are troubled. The friends that we have that are troubled. How are we going to respond to that? The second thing I want you to consider is the transportation that this man received. It says that he was carried afore. He was carried afore and he was brought to the Lord. Consider a few things about these men. Number one, you see the compassion that they have. Here's a man who is not able to do anything by himself. He's not able to fix himself. He's not able to help himself. Can you imagine if you were laying in a bed and you were sick of the palsy and you had no ability whatsoever to do things? Wouldn't you want somebody to look at your situation and say, I'm going to help that man where he can't help himself and I'm going to do something for him because he can't do anything for himself? His friends that surrounded him, they were moved with compassion when they saw the condition that he was in. And one of the problems that we have today is we have lost our ability to be able to sympathize with other people and to be able to have compassion on other people. And we have grown hard and we have grown callous and we have turned a blind eye to the problems that other people have in their life. And let me just say this morning, if you have turned a blind eye to the problems in somebody else's life, then you are not being the kind of friend 
that God intended you to be. To, so that they would have somebody there that could help them in their way. These men had compassion. I think about Jesus when He looked out over the Israel. He looked over Jerusalem. You remember what it said? He was moved with compassion. Because he saw all those people out there as sheep without a shepherd. And he saw them, they were just straying away. And the Lord didn't find condemnation. And the Lord didn't find criticism. But the Lord found compassion in his heart. Jude said, some having compassion, making a difference. He said, I want to make a difference in the world that I live in. You're never, and I'm never going to make a difference until we're moved with compassion when we see people. Until we're moved with compassion over the condition and the things that are going on in their Life. We have become so calloused. I've listened to people talk before and everything is a competition, you know. Somebody will say, well, I had a bad week, this happened. Somebody else will say, well, I had this happen this week. Somebody else will say, well, you, you should have seen what happened. My Can't you just have compassion on people? You know, it's all, everything is a competition, you know. You had a bad week, well, I guarantee you my week was worse than yours. You know, you had a bad day, well, my day, my day had to be worse than yours. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but they weren't there for competition. They were there for compassion, and they were there for somebody that would just care about them and consider them and listen to them and be moved with compassion on the things that are troubling their life. I've got troubles, you've got troubles, everybody around us got troubles. It's not a competition about who's the most troubled. It's an opportunity to help those that are troubled in their life. These men were moved with compassion. But notice also we see the conviction that they had. It says that when they got in there, you know what their goal was? Their goal was to get him to Jesus. These men were fully persuaded that Jesus was the answer to the problem that this man faced. It was not that they just felt sorry for him. It was not that they just wished he had a better life. But they believed that Jesus Christ that was in that house was able to heal this man and fix this man. And there was conviction in their heart that we're going to pick him up and we're going to get him to Jesus. And there has got to be conviction in our heart that the answer to the problems and the answer to the trouble it is Jesus this morning and we must be fully persuaded within our heart as deep as we can get that Jesus is still the answer and he always has been I listened to a preacher this week and he's told of a time about 10 years ago. And he said, when I moved to that community, he said, I was so burdened about that community. He said, drugs were taking that community over. It was going downhill real fast. And he said, I began to complain about that community. And he said, I, then I started to pray. He said, I started to pray for the law enforcement. And he said, I started to pray that they would do their job the right way. He said, I started to pray that they would get things done the right way, start arresting people and getting them off the streets. He said, I started to pray for the newly elected district attorney that they would take care of matters in the right way. And he said, well, I was just letting God have it, that God would get all these people straightened out. And he said, then God spoke to me and said, the problem in this community isn't going to be fixed with handcuffs and jail cells. He said the problem in this community is going to be fixed with Jesus. And that man went home with compassion he had, but that day he got filled with conviction and he and the church that he pastored, he said, you know what, I hope all those other organizations do their part. 
But he made this statement. It's time that we start to do our part. And I think the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has begun to put the responsibility on all these other organizations to fix the world that we live in. But it's time that we get filled with the conviction that, hey, the answer to the problem in this world is found right here. The answer to the problem that goes on in the community is found right here. And the answer to the problem in that marriage and in this marriage and in that home and that home is found right here. And we've got to get to the point where we are filled with the conviction, where we're moved with compassion, but then we're driven by conviction that says the answer is to get them to Jesus Christ and get them to His presence so He can do something in their life. I can't fix you and I can't fix anything else, but praise God, I know the man who can fix all the problems that exist and we have the responsibility to get people to Jesus Christ. Notice not only their conviction, but you see the commitment that they had because when they came up to the door, there wasn't any way they could get in. I'm glad they didn't quit, aren't you? I'm glad they didn't say there's no room. The door's closed. I'm not getting in. We might as well call it a day. But they got on top of that roof and they began to uncover that roof and they began to lower that man down on that bed by the ropes because they were committed that they were getting this man to Jesus at all cost. It didn't matter what it took. It didn't matter how hard it was. It didn't matter how long it took. But this man was going to get to Jesus one way or the other. And can I say that's the kind of commitment that we need today that's the kind of commitment that I need in my life is that God when resistance comes up I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to walk away and we're not going to let the devil get the victory but we'll find a way to do what God has called us to do. We'll go the extra mile. We'll spend the extra dollar. We'll give the extra time because that one person coming to know Jesus is worth every bit of it. That's the kind of commitment that we need in the Lord's work. And that's the kind of commitment that I need with my friends of faith is I need to be 100% committed to this man to helping him get to Jesus Christ. I need to be 100% committed helping you get to where the Lord wants you to be as well. And whatever is going going on in your life. Can you imagine today if you had four people in your life, just four, not a whole not a whole church house, but if you had four people in your life that every time you got down, you knew they were going to grab a corner of your bed and they were going to get you to Jesus Christ. If you could count on four people at all times. Can I say four people ain't not that much, all right? It's not that much to get four people. If if you would be one of them, hey, we'd be 25% of the way there, all right? If you'd commit this morning and say, I'm going to be that one friend for somebody else. I can't control if everybody else is going to do it, but I'm going to be that one friend for that person that is 100% committed to carry in their bed to Jesus when they can't carry it themselves. I'm 100% committed to lowering them down through the roof if that's what it takes to get them to the Lord Jesus Christ when they need Him. Not only were these men committed, but they were confident. Boy, when they did that, can I say these men did not carry Him cross town, up on the roof, lower Him down, thinking that Jesus might be able to heal Him. They were confident that if we can just get Him to Jesus... Jesus can solve the problem. You see, it's not up to you and I to solve the problem. Our responsibility is to be the transportation that gets people from where they are into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He does the rest. And we ought to have the confidence that the Lord is able to do that. You say, well, preacher, I don't know anybody that's sick of the palsy, so I don't know how any of this applies to me this morning. I would say this. You and I have the greatest privilege to take people to Jesus in prayer. 
You know, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to pick you up, all right, and carry you down to this altar. It crosses my mind every now and then, but I'm not going to do that. But what I can do is I can find a place and I can pray for you and I can take your name and I can take your situation and I can take your family and I can take everything that I know how to the throne of grace and I can present it there what an awesome opportunity that is hey a real friend a real friend is going to pray for you a real friend is going to be one that when they say I got this going on in my life you can count on it that that person is not just going to send you a message and say I'm praying for you but they're going to find a time in their life to sincerely lift you up to the throne of grace and can I I say that is just as important and that is just as powerful as those four men that got a hold of that bed and carried it to that house because they are carrying you to the throne of grace and there's somebody in your life today that needs you to carry them to the throne of grace and needs you to pick them up and say, Lord, here's their life. Here's what's going on. And just pray and pray and pray that God would do something in their life. You can't do it, but you can get them there. You can't fix the their problems, but you can beg the one who can to intervene in their life. And we ought to be fully committed and fully confident that He's still able to do those things today. Not only can I take them to the Lord in prayer, I can invite them to this place. I can say, hey, come to church and sit with me and be in the presence of the Lord. I can share the Gospel with them. And I can say, here's what Jesus Christ did for you. And here's what Jesus Christ can do for you. And here's what He wants to do for you. And I can bring them to a place where they are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He can fix their problems. There is no organization and there is no other person on planet earth that has the greatest any greater of a responsibility than what we have as God's people today and that is to be the transportation to get people from where they are to the Lord Jesus Christ so he can do something in their life as you see this story you see the triumph and I'll be done we see the spiritual victory that they had Jesus this man came in it says when they saw when he saw their faith, he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. People have a problem with that and said his sins were forgiven because of their faith. Can I say he was part of the there? All right. He saw his faith as well. He was being carried in. I'm sure he wanted to go to that place. His faith was noticed as well. He had faith that the Lord Jesus was able to do this. His friends had faith. And when the Lord witnessed that faith, it was the faith even of a man that was on a bed, totally handicapped, that brought forgiveness of his sins. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus still forgives sins, aren't you? And in this event, here's what He was wanting to prove to those scribes and Pharisees, is that He not only had the authority to heal people, He had the authority to forgive people. And they said, well, only God can forgive people. And Jesus probably said, Amen, I am God. I have that authority, alright? I can forgive people. And that's what He wanted them to see, is that He was more than just a man, but He was God in the flesh with all authority from heaven, both over the physical things and the spiritual things. And He gave that man something greater than he ever thought he could have got. And that was forgiveness and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You say, that's not what they showed up for. I bet they were glad they got it though. That's not what they went there for. But I bet he was sure glad when he died and he remembered that, hey, I've been forgiven of my sins and I've been cleansed of my iniquity and my 
name's been written down in the Lamb's book of life. And blood has atoned for my sin and the penalty that I owe. And I hope that you know this morning that there are there is still the power in the name of the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of your unrighteousness. There's not one person on planet earth that has ever sinned to such an extent that Jesus Christ could not forgive them. There's not one black heart this morning that can't be washed in red blood and be made white as snow again. That forgiveness is available for all mankind. It's available for you today as well if you've never trusted. Hey, there was a spiritual victory all because some men picked him up and said, we're taking you to Jesus. All right, We're, we're getting you there. We're going to do what we got to do to get you to Jesus. And he got saved. But we also see the physical victory and the physical triumph. This man was in this bed. Couldn't get out. Had to get lowered down. You know what Jesus did? Jesus just said, arise up. Take your bed. Go to your house. And can you imagine in that crowd I mean, they're all sitting here. Some are religious, all these people. And that man getting out of that bed and just walking. And you say, Preacher, you really believe those things happen? With all that I have, I believe that Jesus was able to do that. But here's the thing. I believe that Jesus can still do that today in the life of people. Now, He's not going to do it through me. Understand that. But I believe that God still has every ability that God has ever had to heal sicknesses, to recover injuries, to fix issues, whatever it might be. There is nothing that is too big for God to do. There is nothing that is too great for God to overcome. Here's the thing though. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. This victory was brought on because of His faith and the faith of those that had surrounded His life. Can I say, if you want victory in your life, your faith is going to be the drive to it. But it sure helps when you're surrounded by people that have faith as well. It sure helps that you're, when you're surrounded by friends and family that love the Lord Jesus and have faith in Him just like you do as well. And we need to be that kind of person for somebody else. There's somebody today that may be on your heart that you know I say the greatest thing that you can do for them is to pick up the corner of their bed and to take them by name and take them to the throne of grace today and say, Lord, they need you. Lord, I don't know what all they got going on, but they need you in some way. And just begin to pray for them and do what you can to get them to Jesus Christ. You may never be the, the Paul and you may never be David. You may never be all these guys. I don't even know what these four men's name, what their names were. But I bet up in glory their names are recorded. And I bet up in glory there's a reward that awaits those men because they were friends of faith. They might not get all the recognition of men, but God recognized their faith. And at the end of your life, I believe that you and I are going to be much more concerned that God recognizes our faith than men recognizing all of our accomplishments and accolades that we have. Hey, let's give it all that we got and say, Lord, I want to be used by You. I want to be part of Your service. I'll, I'll close with this thought. If you were to take this room right here and you were to look over here and you look at this piano and you say, that's July 12, 1994. And this organ over here, that's the date of my death. And I get between those two. You know this morning... I have absolutely no clue where I'm at on that course. Uh, there's my, I, hope I'm, I hope I'm about right here, to be honest with you. But I really don't know where I'm at. I don't, I don't know how close I am. You know that really today, in all honesty, I could be this close to the day of my death and not have the slightest clue that that's going to be the day that I die. October 31st of 2022 could be the day that is written on a tombstone for the rest of, for the rest of time here for Levi. I, I don't have a clue about any of those things. But here's what I know for certain. 
is that I'm facing this way and I can do nothing about all of that back there. I can do not one thing about what I hadn't done, what I had done, what I should have done, or what I could have done. All I can do is say, Lord, I want to make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. I may only have a day, but Lord, I want to be used. And so you don't know where you're at this morning either. You like to think you're way over there, but the reality is we're not all way over there. A lot of us are probably right in this area right here. We're somewhere in the middle, not knowing where it's going to happen. We can't decide that, but we can decide, Lord, with what life I have left, I want to live for you. What life I have left, I want to be a friend of faith for those in my life that I might make an eternal difference in their life in some way. God, would you use me today for your service? I want to ask you to stand with me as we have a song of invitation. Lord, we're so thankful for all you've done for us. God, I'm thankful for the people in my life who have helped me get to Jesus. Lord, who have helped me stay there. And when I get down, who have gotten me up, Lord, and got me back to you. I thank you so much for them. I pray your blessings on them, Lord. But today, I ask that you would help all of us to be that friend, Lord. To be that person that would grab a corner, Lord, and get the people in our life to your son, Jesus Christ. In whatever way that we can to help them, Lord. There may be somebody here that's lost. And Lord, I pray that you would convict them and show them their need to be saved today before it's everlasting too late and that they would respond and call on you in faith. God, we love you. We ask for you to move in our midst and we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing.